So the reading is Acts 28 verses 11 to 31. After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there, we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day, the south wind came up and on the following day, we reached Puteoli. There we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming and they traveled as far as the Forum of Appius and the Three Taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, my brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I've asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, we have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God, and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you'll be ever hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's hearts has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Great, thank you, Hannah. Um, thank you, Claire, for your welcome, and uh, good to be with you all again this week. Now, um, you'll probably know that the book of Acts is the account of uh, Jesus' words in chapter 1, verse 8, coming true. So chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus is about to ascend uh, to the Father, and he says to his disciples who he's gathered in Jerusalem, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
And so as we read through this account, we see the word of the gospel, the good news message of Jesus Christ spreading from Jerusalem through Judea and Samaria and then out into the Gentile world beyond. And by the end of chapter 28, we're in Rome, kind of the center of operations in the ancient world, um, the Roman Empire. And one thing that we've seen as the word has spread is that at every single stage, this message about Jesus is opposed. But in spite of that opposition, it just keeps on spreading. And the book ends with these intriguing uh, two final verses. So maybe you'd just like to, to look at them if you've got your Bible open. So for two whole years, uh, Paul's in prison, the house arrest. For two whole years, he stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So he's awaiting the, the trial before Caesar, which is what he's uh, appealed to. And we're not actually told how Paul's trial before the emperor went. We're just told that he spent two whole years there and his case still hadn't come up. So Acts ends, if you like, a bit like a soap opera. It just leaves you hanging. You know, what happens next? Uh, we want to know what happens. And strikingly, Luke doesn't tell us. And the reason why he doesn't tell us is that it's not about Paul. It's about Christ and his kingdom. And so Acts ends with the kingdom of God and the lordship of Jesus Christ being freely proclaimed in the center of the Roman Empire. And so Jesus' program in Acts 1 verse 8 is well underway. So what we have at the end of the book is Jesus staking out his turf, putting his claim on the center of the world. Now, it's worth noting the content of Paul's message, uh, what we would call his gospel message. If you have a look at uh, verse 31, it says that he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, verse 23 as well uh, is helpful for us in this. Verse 23, that uh, he explains about the kingdom of God from the law of Moses and the prophets, and he tried to persuade them about Jesus. So the content of his message is the kingdom of God, and he tries to convince uh, the Jews that he speaks to there in Rome about Jesus from the law of Moses and the prophets. So Jesus is God's king, and Jesus is the one who's establishing the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God with Jesus as king, that is a good summary, if you like, of the gospel. And that's what was declared at Pentecost. Uh, if you remember in Acts chapter 2, when Peter stood before that crowd in Jerusalem, and he said, let all Israel be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. That's the heart of the message that we preach. Jesus is Christ. He's king. He's the king over God's kingdom. And there are two responses uh, to that message. And it's worth noticing the responses. It's there in uh, verse 24, uh, 25 of Acts 28, where we see that this message of the kingdom, uh, this message of the Christ is either received or rejected. So verse 24, some were convinced by what Paul said, but others would not believe and they they left so the first response is one of conviction they were convinced and the other is one of rebellion uh, it's not just that they did not believe notice but that they would not believe they wouldn't believe that's rebellion they've made a choice not to believe and that's what people are doing when they reject the king and his rule they make a decision against it and ultimately those are the only two responses to the kingdom of god you're either convinced by the message of the king or you reject it, and in rejecting the message, you reject him. And, of course, the Bible would say that's absolute madness, because what a king you're rejecting. He's a mighty king. His will is always done. He's a sovereign king. He's in total control of the world and everything in it. He's a loving king, 
a king like no other. He cares for his people in a way like no other king cares for his people. He dies for his people. He works for their good all the time. He's a faithful king, uh, true to his word always. He will never leave his people and he provides everything they need using all his power and all his authority, which is total to do that. So it's absolute madness to refuse him because you miss out on his love and his care. And it's madness to reject him because your rebellion will not succeed. You, you will lose because he is unstoppable. He will reign forever. And that's really what we're, we're seeing in verses 30 and 31 in the way that the book ends. We're saying that Christ and his kingdom just cannot be stopped. So um, without hindrance is the word that it finishes on. So Paul continues to teach about the kingdom and the Lord Jesus Christ boldly, but without hindrance. And uh, in the Greek, there's just one word uh, translated to there without hindrance. Uh, it's an adverb which could be translated unhinderedly. That's bad English. That sounds a bit awkward. But that's the sense, unhinderedly. Um, so though Paul is a prisoner, uh, his witness and his message has a real freedom. That's the emphasis that's being made here. Here is the gospel of the kingdom of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's going out freely from the center of the world. And the implication is, and from here, from the center of the world, it's going to go out to all the corners of the world as well, to all the nooks and all the crannies. It's unstoppable. So despite the chains, despite the opposition, the kingdom continues to be preached. And continues to grow and that's what Jesus had said would happen in Acts 1 verse 8 and it's happening here they are being his witnesses to the ends of the earth so we're being told that God is totally sovereign his kingdom plan cannot be stopped but gloriously achieved I think it's worth noting how that must have happened in part in this context in Rome with Paul there so if you look at verse 16 you see that Paul is, is a prisoner and uh, he's allowed to live by himself but he's got a soldier to guard him uh, so he's got a soldier from the Imperial Guard watching him being uh, uh, his jailer, if you like, his chain to the soldier. And uh, ancient historians will tell you that uh, these kind of guards, they would be replaced by another guard every four hours. So the guard would change every four hours. And I would imagine that there's a lot of talk between Paul and his guards, um, a lot of small talk. Yes, but also more serious things. So, you know, the guard says, well, you know, why are you here, Paul? And he replies by saying, well, have you ever heard of Jesus of Nazareth? Uh, no, I can't say that I have never been stationed in uh, Palestine. Uh, and Paul says, well, let me tell you a bit about Jesus. And they have four hours chained to Paul, the most gifted evangelist the world has ever known, apart from Jesus. And you can cover quite a lot in four hours. And then another one comes in and you can start again. And that's why I think Paul can say, in Philippians 1 verses 12 to 13, you know, he's writing this church, they're concerned that uh, he's been arrested and he's in prison. And he says this to them, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what's happened to me, prison, has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. So the palace guard, that's the imperial guard, they were the only troops allowed in Rome and they were the ones who were guarding Paul. So the gospel has an impact in the very center of operations in the, the palace itself. And, and we see that in the final chapter of the letter to the Philippians, where Paul makes this striking comment. He says, all God's people here send you their greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. There's Christians in Caesar's household. And so this opposed kingdom, kingdom of Christ, just keeps going forward uh, without hindrance and hinderedly. 
And uh, I think we see that again in verse 13. Uh, again, it, very easy to read over verse 13, but it is quite striking, isn't it? So look at verse 13. He says that uh, uh, we set sail, we arrived at Regium. The next day, the south wind came up, and on the following day, we reached Puteoli. And verse 14, there we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them. Astonishing. They're Christians there. Um, this is... Uh, where Naples is today, basically the Bay of Naples, Puteoli, and he's never been to Italy before, Paul, but there are already uh, communities of Christians there in Italy. The kingdom is spreading. Christ's people are everywhere. Uh, John McCain, uh, he's dead now, he's the former US senator and presidential candidate. He was a prisoner of war in Vietnam, and uh, in uh, his autobiography, he writes uh, about an occasion that happened during his imprisonment and he was in solitary confinement he was caught talking to a, a friend in the next door cell and the guards took him to what they called the punishment cell where they sat him on a stool and tied him very very tightly with ropes so an agonizing punishment <coughs> excuse me and uh, during the night as he strained against the painfully tightened ropes uh, the door to the cell suddenly opened and a young gun guard stood there and he'd occasionally seen this this guy around the camp uh, and this man entered the room and he motioned to John McCain to remain silent just by putting his finger to his lips. And then without smiling or looking at him, um, he just loosened the ropes that were binding John McCain to this chair. And then he just left without speaking. And later on, as dawn approached, so a few hours later, he returned to retighten the ropes before he finished his watch and another guard had discovered what he had done. And McCain reports that in the months that followed, he occasionally saw his Good Samaritan around the camp when he was moved from one part to the other. But this man never allowed himself a glance in John McCain's direction. He never spoke to him. He never engaged with him until one Christmas morning, uh, John McCain was briefly allowed out of his cell to stand alone in the outdoors and able to look up at the clear blue sky. And as he was looking up at the heavens this Christmas day, he became aware of this guard as he walked nearby. And then just for a moment, he came and he stood very, very close to John McCain. He didn't speak, he didn't smile, he didn't look at McCain. He just stared at the ground in front of them both. And then very, very casually, he used his foot to draw a cross in the dirt. And they both stood looking at his work on the ground for a moment or two. And then he rubbed it out with his foot and then he walked away. This man was a Christian. And that's extraordinary. So that's you know strange how Christ's people just everywhere, everywhere, even a member of the communist Viet Cong knew Jesus Christ. The kingdom of Jesus Christ is unstoppable. So it's no wonder that governments like uh, North Korea and Saudi Arabia and Myanmar are so uptight because you can't keep Jesus Christ out of your country. You can't. And we, where we stand in history and salvation history, we've got the privilege of looking back over the last 2000 years to see how the kingdom of God has just exploded throughout the world. Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And just as we're meeting together this morning, uh, this afternoon, very, very briefly, is the evidence of the truth of Jesus' words right, right before us. Uh, we're all in different places in the UK, but the UK is basically the ends of the earth. So if you draw a line from Jerusalem, it'll go through a straight line, it'll go through Greece and then um, Italy and Switzerland and then through France and into England. And uh, if you keep going uh, from South England, you come to the very uh, remotest parts up to Kendall. And uh, it's amazing. There's, there's Christians here. 
there's there's Christians all over Kendall. Uh, we've got Christians in schools, we've got Christians in Boots the Chemists, in the hospitals, in the care homes, we've even got Christians in the Liberal Democratic Party. Yeah. And then if you go beyond Kendall, there's not much left beyond us. There's places like Whitehaven and then the Faroe Islands and then Iceland. And there's even Christians there. And all this shows us that the God of grace and mercy is absolutely committed to the promises that he's made. You know, that promise that began in Genesis 12, that through one of Abraham's descendants, Jesus Christ, the whole world would be blessed. And the book of Acts is God's demonstration that he is absolutely committed to that promise, no matter what. The gospel of Christ and his kingdom moves from Jerusalem through Judea and Samaria to Rome. And from Rome, it's come to us. And therefore, we can conclude, we can look forward with absolute confidence and certainty to the day when Revelation 11 says, the kingdom of the world will become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. He will reign forever and ever. And the kingdom of the world will become his kingdom. So don't give up. Keep going, serving him where he's put you, knowing that his kingdom is absolutely unstoppable. Amen.